everybody. Welcome back to the Active Dads Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel, and as always, with me, my co-host is John the Arborist. Hello. <laughs> All right, so today we want to talk about performance anxiety. Um, one of the big issues that I have, especially in the world of jiu-jitsu, is, and you know, a couple of the other sports I do as well, I've been kind of anxious before I go up there, but anytime you're getting ready for a competition, you know, I mean, there's so much build up to it. There's, I don't know, so much mental focus put into your training, into your nutrition, trying to make sure everything is right for that day, you know, getting your bag packed, making sure you're fully prepared, that it's easy to kind of let the anxiety and the nerves just kind of take a hold of you. Because, you know, I mean, anytime you compete in something, it's obviously something you want to be good at. Mm-hmm. I've never known anybody like compete in something they wanted to suck at. Right. You know? yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, so it's obviously important to you at some point. There are those people out there. They just want to be a part of the club. Yeah, but I mean, they still want to like look good in front of the club. Nobody wants to go out there and just suck at the competition. You just have to buy the right gear. You buy the right gear and I'm wear. not saying they train properly. <laughs> I'm saying that maybe they think the oh, gear is going to be better. You know, I mean, right. there's a lot of people who suck at jujitsu who have very fancy geese. Right. So. <laughs> That's kind of what I was getting at. Like, <laughs> yeah. check me out. I've got like every every piece of new running or cycling equipment there is, but mm-hmm. I don't really know how to use it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, hell, that was me whenever I did the mountain run. But yeah, so. Yeah, but you look like a CrossFitter. Mm-hmm. So it's okay. That's a terrible thing to say to somebody. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I can't believe you cuss me like that. On a mountain run, you know, we were like, <laughs> yeah. you know, that guy doesn't belong here. Mm-hmm. Oh, I definitely stuck out like a sore thumb, but still, I think it was the panting and limping more than anything. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, so, uh, you know, two weekends ago, we had NAGA, which is the North American Grappling Association. It's a jujitsu or grappling tournament, I should say. There's a lot of wrestlers in there as well. But it actually came to Hickory for the first time ever. Yeah. So we're starting to pull more of the bigger jujitsu and grappling competitions our way, which Historical. I'm Yeah. I'm very happy about that because, you know, before if you wanted to compete, you had to drive to like Indian Trail or Greenville or Greensboro. And, you know, it's an all day event. Weigh ins are at nine AM. You literally leave there about eight PM if you stay and watch the white belts go. You yeah. know what I mean? And it's so far you don't want to go in, weigh in, drive home hang out for an hour and then drive back. Oh, yeah. So it was pretty cool to have it right here in our own backyard where yeah. it was very easy just coming in and out, you know. Yeah, I got in the octagon myself yesterday. Yeah. I did. Yep. I, I competed you. in the octagon. What's the octagon? It's the octagon. What do you think the octagon is? You know, watch oh, There's TV. a lot of octagons. Like the octagon. The octagon. It was the yellow octagon. Train UFC, bro. <laughs> UFC Gaga Ball. Gaga I don't Gaga know. Gaga Ball. Is. Yep. Mm-hmm. I learned what Gaga Ball was yesterday. I've never heard yep. of Gaga bunch Ball. A bunch of scouts taught me what Gaga Ball was. It's pretty cool. But you do it in the... Like you, a game or something? Yeah, it's a oh, game. Okay. You do it in the octagon. So I was a little... At first, I was a little anxious because I'm like, I don't get in the octagon with all these kids. Like, you know. But, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know. The octagon. Okay. Anyways. So, yeah. So, we had a jiu-jitsu competition. I have no clue what the hell he's talking about. I'll, go- I'll probably won't Google that later. Yeah, I'm will. lying. I don't yeah. care. Everybody that but- hears that, gonna go, <laughs> I'm going to Google Gaga Ball. Yeah, but so one of the big things that always tore me up on past grappling tournaments that I've entered in, and keep in mind, I'm not a regular competitor, nor do I ever plan to be. 
I literally compete when my instructor tells me it's time to compete again. So yeah. like, hey, you ain't competed in a couple of years. You should jump in on one. Yeah. So I sign up, jump in on one. But before, my nerves just always tore me up, man. I, like my stomach would be destroyed. My gas tank would be gone by the time I stepped out on the mat. You know, just my adrenaline was going so hard all day long. I had nothing whenever it came time for the actual match. Right. And that tore me up. But it's it's literally one of those things that the only way you get past it is to go out and do it more. You oh, know, absolutely. You got to desensitize yourself to it. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, subconsciously, whether you say you are or not, you are literally measuring yourself up to every bit of competition you see. Yeah. Whether you're actually grappling with that person or not, it's running through your mind that that might be the person that I'm up against mm-hmm. and they look fit or they look. And so subconsciously, you're already like, oh, God, you know, like they look way more fit than I do. So, and it was the same way with men. And when I race cross, or I pretty much race everything, um, but more so in cross or in, in cycling. Um, just because in cross you're you know you're literally lined up in a certain order you know so you're yeah. always looking to your left and you're looking to your right and who's who's right beside you and you know when I raced um, the last races I was at was you know I'm pretty much racing collegiate racers you know so here's almost four year old John and these college kids you know mm-hmm. and so the whole time you're like well, let's be realistic John. I mean, <laughs> these kids are 10, 12, 13, whatever years younger than you. And, mm. you know, they're in great shape. So, you know, it was always in the back of your mind, like, oh, my God, I got to get race these collegiate kids. And, you know, and plus you're thinking about, you're thinking about the fact that I'm getting ready. The whistle's going to blow. The gun's going to go off, whatever. And I'm going to red, I'm going to have to be redlining it in the next hundred yards. Yeah, trying and, to hit the whole shot. Yeah, the whole yeah. shot, and then just knowing that for forty-five minutes to an hour, you're gonna be going as hard as you can, as fast as you can, putting every single thing you got into turning the pedals or you know turning the corner, and it hurts, <laughs> and you know that. So, oh, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, so all that stuff's there. Yeah, it's always a reminder. Yeah, that's one thing that I've, you know, like I said, I never really competed enough to learn how to mitigate that Mm -hmm. and make that adrenaline work for me. But I've read a lot of, like, mindset books and stuff like that over the past couple months. And basically for this competition, I did nothing different. I did zero competition prep. Because before, every time I would do six classes a week, I would change my training up in the gym to be more conditioning-based, more endurance-based, trying to like build that gas tank up kind of, I don't know how to say it. Like I'm expecting that adrenaline dump. So I want to build my conditioning to where that adrenaline dump isn't going to hurt me. But this time I did no type of competition prep whatsoever. Went to my normal classes. Didn't think twice about the competition until the night before when I had to go to weigh in. So one thing that I think helped me out big time was literally giving it nothing. You know, like I turned the, molehill back into the molehill i didn't let it become the mountain whatsoever i was like cool i lose i lose i've been a brown belt for six weeks almost seven weeks now so i'm not too concerned about how i do yeah and then uh with this new smooth comp program they have you can go in and find out who your opponents are as they sign up you know you couldn't register at the door every register had to be in before the start of the competition yeah so with that i could look it up and there were no other brown belts around my weight class 
So they automatically threw me in the black belt weight class in uh, two divisions in the expert. I can't remember what my opponent was there in the no-gi expert. I might think, I'm going to say he was, I don't remember what belt he was. Yeah. <clears throat> but anyways, you know, I mean, it's no-gi, so belts are, I'm not saying they're irrelevant, but a lot of people train no-gi for years and just never get a belt, you know, or they just progress slower because they never put a gi on. So you never really know what you're going to get into when you go against no-gi guys. So we get to the competition, I weigh in, and basically they bump me up one to two weight classes depending on division. Yeah. <clears throat> so I weigh in fully clothed with a bottle of water in my hand and dude was like, you want to like strip down? I'm like, nah, it doesn't matter. They bumped me up. It's like, oh, okay. So I weighed in fully clothed with a bottle of water in my hand and both of my opponents were at least 10 pounds heavier than me <laughs> whenever I was fully clothed. <laughs> yeah, but I think one thing that helped me out was I knew I was going against black belts, yeah. you know, and there's not a huge disparity between brown and black. But the guys that I knew in there, or one of the guys I knew, Jason Beber, my instructor, I knew that whenever we played by a certain rule set, that I've never beat him. You know, we're just playing around, just rolling, no points, no nothing, no time limit. I can usually catch him here and there. But whenever it comes to actual competition, he's very good at it. He competes very often. So I kind of lowered my expectations as to how my performance was going to go because I was going at a handicap in quotation marks with that one. But we show up the day of, and one of the cool parts about it was since it was so close, we had so many other students competing that I was kind of mitigating their anxiety and oh, their nervousness <laughs> at the same time. So while I'm talking to them about, you know, calming down, take your time, just do what you know, you know, play your game, don't play theirs. I'm hearing myself say this out loud, almost like a mantra. You know, I probably yeah. talked to a dozen of our students with that. So I think that helped chill me out. Um, I got ready for my no-gi expert division. That was, we did gi, or no-gi, and then the gi division started after that. Dude, I am hyped up. I listened to a couple power songs through my headphones. I got good and warmed up. Everything was ready. My adrenaline was right where I wanted to be. Step out on the mat, no opponent. They call his name four or five times, no opponent. I'm like, please, just call him again. I'm right where I want to be. I need this match right now. Like, yeah. this is the best I've ever felt standing on a competition mat. Called him for like 10 minutes. No show. I was like, sorry, man. Now, it was, it was such a huge letdown that I was honestly more pissed off than if I'd have went in there and got beat. Yeah. Just because that was the one time, the first time I'd ever actually stepped on the mats feeling fully prepared to do what I do best. Oh, yeah. And <clears throat> nothing. Complete letdown. And the worst part about it was I got the uh, Naga championship belt because of that. Oh, yeah. Like, he didn't show up. He got DQ'd, and I was the only other person in the division. So yeah. I got this huge belt as a reminder of the match that I missed out on. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So that was absolutely terrible. And then, you know, after that, they started running through the brackets really quickly. Like, our my second match was about 40 minutes ahead of schedule. So my second match was against Beber. So I was going up against the winner or the loser between uh, Jeff Piercy and my instructor, Jason. And whenever, you know, I saw that they were on the mats, they were so early. It's like, oh, shit. So I had to run, jump in my gi. Like, I didn't have time to eat. I didn't have time to do anything. I jumped in my gi, ran back over there. And then as I got over there, they were raising Jeff's hand, which means it was me against Beber. For yeah. basically, if he won, I would have took third. He would have got second. Jeff would have got first. Yeah. 
But since I beat him, I got a chance to go after Jeff for first. So I was guaranteed second going after first in the finals. That match did not go my way, although I did a couple of good things. There were a couple places where he just got some momentum on me, outran me, finished me with a triangle, yeah, triangle choke. And then, like, with that, I think it was so quick between going with Beber and going to him. My apologies. Since it was so quick going with Beber and then going to him, that I didn't have time for my drone to peak back up on me. Like, yeah. I was still recovering from mine and Beber's match. And going against Beber, I wasn't nervous at all because it felt like just another day at the office. Yeah. You know, I've rolled with him 10,000 times over the past decade. Right. So that was really easy on me. That helped mitigate some of my anxiety. You know, like I said, with Jeff, you know, I took the L. I was not happy about it whatsoever, but I was happy about my performance. You know, Jeff's a very skilled grappler. He really is. Um, after that, we went into the absolute black belt division where I went up against a dude named Nicholas. And yeah, man, he just, he ran a clinic on me just like Jeff did. You know, I did a couple of good things, but he got that momentum behind him. Yeah. He was able to finish me as well. You know, it never went to the judges. It never went to the scorecard. Like I was tapped out on both accounts. Yeah. So, but even with that, like I said, I think the main win that I got that day was just that I was able to control my anxiety. You know yeah. I mean? I was still anxious. I was still a little bit nervous. But it wasn't to the point where I got paralyzed yeah. as it was in my first competitions, you know? Yeah. Well, so, I mean, it's, it's very, like, very similar with, you know, the stuff I, you know, I haven't raced across in a couple of years just because I've been focused on more of these running goals. And, <clears throat> like, with me, the running stuff isn't, like, I don't get, like, it's, I don't look at those as races as far as, like, competing against other people. For me, those are more internal races, you know, races with myself. Um, and really the goal in most of those um, are, for me, is always just to finish strong. I don't really care where I finish as far as, like, ranking or any of that crap. Um, these, these like, you know, these big races, these 100 milers are more about, you know, the effort I've put into my training and um, where that's, where that's going to get me as far as when race day gets here. You know, so, uh, you know, I've kind of got an idea of where I want to be in those races and where I can be, and I've definitely put in the training for it. So I guess that anxiety is more surrounded around, you know, showing up on race day or event day, mm -hmm. I like to call it. You know, because, I mean, <clears throat> I start to look at things that could go wrong. I mean, you know, and most of the times it's, you know, it's all based around, like, nutrition and just your body. I mean, yeah. you get you get. 50, 60 miles into a race and, you know, your stomach goes all to heck and you can't keep down food and you can't get in. So if you can't keep it down, you can't put it in. So you're not getting in calories. And then, you know, just all those, those things out there yeah. that, you know, they're in the back of your mind, but it's, it's a lot different. It's a lot, it's a different anxiety than I had when I was racing, when I was like seriously racing cross or, you know, road by or road racing, whatever. Um, because when you race in those those divisions, say so it's it's very similar to to what you guys do. You kind of know going into that weekend by you know the day before who you're racing. At mm -hmm. least at least you know if there's if there's seventy racers in your race, then you usually know who the who sixty of them are because it's all put it's all put online. So you can go in you know pull up your race your cat. And you can see the list of who's there, and they got a nice little thing called the race projector, and it kind of it projects where you're going to finish in the race. 
How um, accurate is that? It's actually somewhat believe barring like yeah. you know wreck or, yeah, or mechanical or something. Yeah, yeah. It's actually crazy. It's pretty close. Damn. So with that, it always adds that a whole other level of anxiety to you because you're like you're showing up going well the race predictor says i'm finishing first or i'm finishing second so oh, it's terrible especially if you're projected finishing like 30th <laughs> like well shit is there any reason in me showing up yeah yeah so but even worse if you're you know you're projected to win first or second because in your mind you're gonna you have to win first or second yeah and then you go out there and you know, you show up and you see, or you go through the list of who you're actually competing against, and you're like, "Oh, well, I know that guy, and I know that guy, and I know, well, he's really fast." Um, and then you know, the gun goes off, and there you are burying yourself um, for 45 minutes. But I mean, it's you know, and, and when you're when you're racing like that, I mean, it's just there's there's a obviously you've got the the hurt, pain, and agony of what you're doing. Um, but then there's just through your mind, there's all those little, uh, and intangibles that create the anxiety of if I dismount, if I mess up this dismount, I'm going to lose a position. If I slip, you know, if I slip up on the barrier and trip up on the barrier, I could lose three positions. If I, you know, all these things, you know, what kind of, what kind of course is it? You know, you show up an hour early for your race and you do a pre-ride on the course. You get out and it's a super super technical course. Well, if you're not a super technical person, then it's going to be tough on you. If you show up and you're like me, you're a power rider and you just mash big gears and make make people hurt because they can't mash a big gear and they're not they don't have that power. Then you know you tend to do better. So you know it's just and I don't know that I ever really figured out a good way to deal with that stuff. Um, I just would go out there and go as hard as I could go and you know whatever happened happened um but I deal with like I mean we've talked about it before I deal with anxiety issues anyway um the stem way deeper than just performance anxiety but yeah you know. and you know same here man I've dealt with anxiety and depression my entire life but one of the big things you know like you said it definitely depends on the difficulty of the course yeah. too, right? You know, so Absolutely. same thing with my opponents. Whenever, you know, Jeff ended up hitting me, or actually I pulled guard on Jeff, and he was able to pass my guard. I was yeah. in Bob's side control. My anxiety was going a little bit harder because I was yeah. like, I have to get out of here. Yeah, I can do nothing. I can do no good things while I'm in this position. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, your anxiety is saying you have to get out. You have to get up. You have to switch something. But the technical part of your brain is just kind of like taking the day off. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, yeah, you know those thousand escapes that you know? You know none of them right now. Oh, yeah. You know how to flail your arms and legs. That's yep. all you know. Yep. <laughs> so luckily I was able to control some of that. I focused on my breathing, tried to slow my heart rate down, tried to get underneath him. You know, like I said, I did a couple of good things, but obviously I didn't do too many good things. And that's one of the differences kind of between your sport and my sport is your sport is kind of the accumulation of all of the training that you've done so far. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you go in there, well, no, I mean, they're very similar. So if you go in there fully prepared, you can still lose 100%. Like you go in there running at 98% efficiency, there's going to be somebody in there whose 98% efficiency is higher than yours. Mm -hmm. Same thing with mine. You know, I went in there, my conditioning felt great, my diet was on, everything about me felt good. I just went against guys who were better than me. 
That's all there is to it. I've got zero cop-out. I felt great during the competition. My anxiety affected me very little, probably to the same point their anxiety affected them. You know, I ain't going to lie. I was kind of hoping that Jeff was a little anxious, seeing as how I just choked out somebody in front of him in his division. He knew he was going up against me next. Mm -hmm. I was really hoping that affected him in a bad way. Because if I'm, I'm sitting there thinking if I'm waiting for my next match and I see my opponent choke somebody unconscious on the mat, I'd be like, oh, you ain't doing that to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I don't think Jeff had the same sentiment that I would, though. But, yeah, so anytime you're getting ready for like a comp camp or a, like comp training, the big difference is intensity. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Everything that we do is built around conditioning and built around skill building. Yeah. In you know, six weeks out from a competition, skill building's out the window. You're not oh, going to learn a new habit in six weeks. Yeah. You know, and conditioning, you can get a little bit better in conditioning, but if you're already conditioned, yeah. you're not going to gain much ground. No. You might be able to bump like, you know, maybe 0.5 to 0.8 on VO2 max in six weeks of training, but that's it. So the big thing about the comp classes is learning that intensity. So we're going harder on each other. We're throwing each other around a little bit more. We're getting a little bit rougher with our knee and elbow placement, you know, and you literally just try to mask what their opponents are going to be doing to them in the competition. That way they don't go in there expecting a flow roll. Yeah. And then they get, you know, a forehead and their eye socket to flatten them out. You kind of get a little bit rougher, but you can't train that way all the time because injuries are highly likely if you do that all the time. I mean, that's what we're looking at now. You know, you start getting this this crazy upper mileage and these longer runs. Not only that, just increasing the pace that much. Yeah. And so you start looking at things like, all right, well, you know, let's do our long run at, you know, 2 a.m. Let's go do it when we're, tired and it's dark outside and we should really be in be in the bed let's start working on body or you know uh, body systems or for lack of better words i guess bodies are you know our systems um like sleep eat um because you know at most people at 2 a.m they're in the bed you mm-hmm. know generally you eat dinner at you know six seven o'clock and you know go to bed mm-hmm. so all right well we'll eat dinner and then get up get a little sleep, run, but then you got to start feeding yourself. So it's like, let's start trying to get our systems to function the way they're going to have to function when we start running for 24 hours or 30 hours or whatever it is. Um, let's get them used to taking in food at uh, 4.30 in the morning when we're, we're hungry. Because if you're like most people, you have, you have your body's on a schedule. So, yeah. you know, you get up in the morning, you wee-wee or like, like right now, <laughs> you like you know, normally you normally wee wee, and then about eight fifteens when my body says, "Okay, it's time to uh, rid ourselves of some of this <clears throat> stomach stuff." You take a poo poo. Oh my god! Um, you but, know, adults listen to this podcast, not their actual children, right? Well, okay. you know, you never know. I'm trying to, yeah. Mm, you got keep my, like PG is cool. You ain't got to go like what is it? Why for PG? Poo poo PG. I'm pretty sure that's the Y4 category. Y4, I we don't even know what that is. Talk to like we're, you know, speaking to men here. Okay, so okay. you take a dump around. So there you, you go. Know, around. Thank you for joining the crowd. Yeah. So, but so you got to start thinking about like now, where I get up, we get up so early, and our bodies are starting to like conform to this crazy schedule. And it's like now you get up, your feet hit the floor. I got to go now. Mm. You know, and so it's the same thing. 
And those are all the anxieties and things like coming into these hundred milers that I'm starting to think about, you know, like, where am I going to be when I got, when that happens? You know, what, what, how's my stomach going to, yeah, but I mean, you're trying to plan for the unexpected though. Right. But I mean, like you have, excuse me, you have, I I don't even know what I'm trying to say. You have no idea where the portageons are going to be at that time. Oh yeah. So I mean, you basically have to deal with that in the minute, you know. Yeah. Like, and I'm and I'm whenever and I'm you're running, saying, you have to think, okay, can I pass this Portageon or do I need to hit yeah. this one? Where's the next one? Stuff now. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, but do you get a course map to know how to prepare for? Like, is there a Portageon at mile eight and a Portageon at mile sixteen, or is there one Portageon and you like? you got to throw some toilet paper in your pocket. Right. Yeah. So now you just do that. I mean, that's just, I mean, <laughs> that's, the, that. that's the one thing you don't. I've been hitting random bushes occasionally. Yeah. That's the one thing you don't forget. It's a, uh, a, uh, a Ziploc bag full of wipes. Mm, call um, that my care package, by yeah, the way. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, you don't leave home without it. But, mm. you know, so, so yeah. So, and, and those are things that like Sean and I talk about when we're running, you know, mm. that we start discussing those things, those, those little anxieties about, well, it's like the technical aspects of planning, yeah. right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You have I to mean, plan for the unexpected. Take some wet wipes, all that yeah. good stuff. I mean, yeah. You know, one or one of us may go down with GI issues, and what would the other one keep going? You, you know, you know Just those let kind it roll of out of your pants, like man. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's yeah. what I'm. Just keep moving. I'm doing the John Joseph thing and just letting her rip and keep on going. Because <laughs> I mean, that's what he did. He finished his last Ironman. And he's like, I, dude, I crap myself it's all in my shoes it's like i crapped in <laughs> on every bush there was in hawaii on the side of the road until yeah. i got to that damn finish line but i wasn't stopping you know yeah. so i'm like that's what you kind of got to plan for but then you know there becomes a there comes a point where it's like a health choice you know like my my god am i gonna be in the hospital on an IV in a drip bag because i'm so freaking dehydrated and yeah not if you like you hit know. your nutrition right well right. you got your water in your because that's the biggest issue and you know, I talk to clients with this all the time, you know, especially through the cold season and we had stomach bugs and yeah. Rona and all that stuff was there would be, you know, every couple of weeks contacts me, Hey, my stomach's tore up. You know, I ain't gonna be able to make it today. I don't know that I can work out or do anything. And I'm like, cool, that's perfectly fine. Hydrate and get plenty of electrolytes yeah. in. That's the biggest issue when it comes to having diarrhea. I mean, mm-hmm. you can push past it. Nothing wrong with that. But you're getting dehydrated because you're flushing out pure hydration. Water is not pure hydration. No. It's really not. You think about like how many 20-ounce bottles of water you would have to drink down if you were spitting into a bottle, a 20-ounce bottle of water all day long. Yeah. You know, and wrestlers do that to lose pounds. Oh, I remember doing yeah. that. So pure hydration like saliva, you can't measure that into water. I think one bottle of water is worth like, I want to say like one ounce of pure hydration because your body burns a lot of it off. Mm-hmm. So when you have diarrhea, you're not digesting that water. You're literally just shooting it out the back. So you're mm-hmm. losing all kinds of hydration with that. Mm-hmm. So chug a ton of water that day. Get in plenty of electrolytes to make sure you hold on to that water. Because if you're just chugging water and you're not taking salt in, you've already crapped all your salt out of your system. Oh, yeah. So you're going to get dehydrated very, very quickly. Yeah. But if you're talking about having... GI issues or any type of diarrhea runs, whatever the hell you want to call it. While you're running, you got to keep in mind that not only are you jettisoning it out the back, but you're burning it off in your muscles while you run. You're literally throwing it out of every pore in your body while you run too. So you're losing hydration through three different accounts. Mm -hmm. So you have to chug water. 
what's the catch on that one? Catch on that one is if you're running and chugging water, you're going to get a water bubble in your stomach that's going to hurt. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to feel like a colicky infant. Mm-hmm. You're going to start screaming. You're going to feel that bounce going on. And it's going to be extremely uncomfortable. So that's why you have to get in, you know, the pickle juice. Oh, yeah. The nectar of the gods while you're running Absolutely. through there. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's stuff that, you know, the closer we get to race day, you start to think about, like, mm-hmm. you know, what, what am I going to be able to eat? You know, and then you start getting into, well, you know, I hit my wall at mile 40 right now. You I know, wish I could hit a wall at mile 40. When I really need to be hitting my wall at, like, mile 60, Yeah, you know, it's there's just a lot to it. But, you know, mm. and I don't, like I said, I don't know that I've ever really, I don't know that I've ever learned how to, I mean. I don't like think you, you can. I don't, man. you know, I listen, you know, I listen to Goggins, mm. and we talk about, and others, and we listen, we talk about mindset. Dude, I think, I think it sounds great. Yeah. And I think it's more so of us telling or reminding ourselves how great mm-hmm. it sounds, but then when you Dude. actually get into the heat of the moment, it's like all that goes away, like you just said, and you start grasping for anything, anything, any type of calories. You, I uh, went to college with this uh, woman named Lee, and she was awesome. She did Ironman on very little training, and she said that literally while I was doing the bike ride, I saw a family barbecue going on. And I pulled over because I needed calories right then. Yeah. And she said it didn't matter if it was pulled pork and a freaking Coca-Cola. Yeah. I needed to get something in me to keep going because right. I was turning white. I was about to fall off my bike. And she literally like interrupted a family barbecue, told them what was going on, and they made her a plate. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like she was just scarfing it down, chugged a Coca-Cola, took one to go with her. Yeah. When it comes to race or any type of extreme endurance nutrition, nobody has that figured out. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you, anybody can argue with me over this as much as you want to. It doesn't matter. Look at Courtney DeWalker. She did the Moab 240 eating cheeseburgers yeah. and stuff. It's literally about how many calories can I get in to burn I mean, off. Dean Carnazas. I mean, the dude used to order pizzas on his route and have yeah. to deliver while he's out running. He, to, he would go oh, and through your stomach go, oh, really? You're yeah. nothing. You're eating pizza? Yeah. Eating anything yeah. that I can do to get extra calories in. He would go into the grocery store and get a cake and yeah. eat cake while he's running. Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm like, I'm trying to pick out stuff that I know I like. So. Yeah. Like, Pop-Tarts are going to be very prevalent in both of those races because mm-hmm. I love the taste of Pop-Tarts. Um, those uh, peanut butter filled pretzels, you know, those things, the little squares. Are little, I haven't seen those. They're, little, uh, they're peanut butter blankets or what they're called, but they're mm-hmm. just pretzels in there. Yeah. Covered in salt and then peanut butter on the inside. Mm-hmm. I love them. I mean, that's – and I can stomach it. And I try – I mean, you know, I tried to be – go the whole, like, strict, like, yeah. keto. Like, all I ate was uh, Brazil nuts, and, mm-hmm. and I covered them in uh, – I, you know, put cap trial on them and, and put coconut flakes on them. Mm-hmm. Like, after, after one half of a while, I was like, oh. <laughs> you know, like, you know what you need? Anytime you're doing a long-distance race and your stomach's already upset, let's throw some oil in there. Yeah, that's a right? great idea. Yeah, that doesn't get anything. <laughs> no, man, there. like, it, honestly, it doesn't matter. And one of the, uh, so I listened to the Joe Rogan Experience podcast with Matt Fraser on there, which was an excellent podcast, by the way. Matt's a really cool dude. I'm not a fan of CrossFit whatsoever, but yeah. I'm a big fan of Matt. Right. I always have been because he's, He's literally the anti-crossfitter that keeps winning CrossFit stuff. Yeah. Like he'll tell you, like the hardest part about it was just getting his cardio up. Yeah. Because he was an Olympic weightlifter to begin with, so form was nothing to him. He'd blow through all that stuff. He said the hardest part about it was just running and doing all their endurance crap. Yeah. But he was talking about how he went and uh, worked with a couple of different, I don't want to say chemists, but basically like biochemists yeah. to get everything down. And he would hit like a hard session on the assault bike, and that'd give him a Coca-Cola to recover. Yeah. Like a full sugar Coca-Cola. And he's like, no, it doesn't matter. You just need some sugar. You need some glycogen in your muscles right now. What better than a Coca-Cola? Yeah, that's you what know? Uh, I mean. That's what and that's what so- professional cyclists in the Tour de France. That's what they call. Um, well, that's uh, what they call EPO. EPO. No, I'm talking <laughs> Coke. Um, like Coca Cola is always like black gold. 
Um, like, oh, really? Because that was like his thing. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, one of the one of the biggies that, that I used to, we used to ride, you know, we used to ride from, from Lenore all the way up to Little Switzerland or, mm. um, uh, you know, uh, I know we're still at Lingle Falls, up to Marion, up to Mount Mitchell and back. And, you know, one of my favorite things was I'd stop and get a Yoohoo and a uh, Payday. Mm. And I felt phenomenal after that. I so mean, did the, like, did the cold affect you at all? Like, was it like an ice cold you? Nah, not really. Okay. No, no, no. That's one of the worst things for me. That's why I drink. I mean, anybody who drinks water yeah. drinks room temperature water yeah. for a oh, reason. Oh, yeah. Now, now that's so, the thing. Like, I, I only drink. I normally only drink room temperature water. Everybody asks me why I won't. Because you actually drink water. Right. Nobody I know that drinks a gallon a day is throwing ice in their water. Yeah, it's always water. room temperature water. Yeah. But that's me. If I work out hard, it tastes know. weird. Yeah. And every now and then, you know, I'll just get backed up with clients. So after a workout, I try to get some yeah. food. I try to get some food in, like, you know, after an hour or so. Sometimes my schedule doesn't allow it. So, you know, I'll drink a Coke Zero every now and then. And, man, every single time I drink a cold Coke Zero, because it's cold and it's got carbonation, my stomach gets tore up after a training yeah, session. The, the only drinks in my house that are kept in the refrigerator is almond milk. Everything yeah. else, even, like, like I keep ginger beer, and I, I drink those Zevias, like this one. I like Zevias. Um, They're good. They're these, getting harder to find. Though. They are. Um, yeah. But these stay in the pantry. Man, I don't put anything in the refrigerator. Um, as far as drinks go, I just can't tolerate it. I don't like it. My, my wife and them get blasted coffees, and I'm like, nope, I don't want my coffee blasted. It's made to drink hot. Um, yeah, like, I don't know. Those are just kind of the little anxieties looking looking ahead, like, because you're, these are, you know, in, I guess, five weeks, the first race is about, we're about five weeks out from the first big race, you know, so I'm starting to get those. Yeah, it's like, June 12th, then. Yeah. Yeah, the same day of my competition. Yeah, no, we're, we're six in the sixth. We're June 6th. Oh, June 6th. Okay, yeah. yes, you're five weeks out. Because I still got another two weeks before I have to use my, oh, do my cutting diet. So that means you can come out and... Yeah, I'll come up there for a little bit. I ain't going to be able to stay long, obviously. Yeah, I'm going to try to come out and hang out like for a couple hours. 15 miles or something. Right. I'm not pacing y'all. Y'all tear me up. <laughs> yeah. You can't start pacing until after after 10 o'clock anyway. So. Why? Because they don't allow pacers up? Not until after 12 hours. They, no, they don't care, man. They ain't checking who's pacing and who's Oh, not. yeah, they are. Especially with the COVID stuff, yeah. Oh, okay. They well, whenever I went up there, like, I didn't yeah, see anybody. I mean, that's 2014. So. Yeah, they're like, you know, please limit your entourage this year, which, I mean, I get it. But. Yeah. Well, so that's a easy one anyways, because you set up a tent, you know? Yeah. Nobody's yeah. messing with your stuff. There's people everywhere all the time, so. That's what I told Sean. I said, really, the whole, really, to be completely honest with you, other than stopping quickly to, you know, grab food and head back out with the food in hand, mm. like, if you're going to get 100 there, you're gonna, you can't really stop anyway, so. Yeah. I mean, Maybe stop and change shoes or whatever if you need to do that. But that's probably going to be your longest stop. Yeah. And I would also a, suggest y'all getting there early, setting up your tent right yeah. beside the start, or right beside the finish line. I think we're just, we were talking about heading up um, Friday because we can set up Friday. I'm going to go ahead and put our tents up. Oh, nice. And at least our pop up. Yeah. Um, that way we don't have to worry about it. it. Yeah. Yeah, but whenever I ran it, Dr. Medina, my student advisor, he literally had his tent and his uh, girlfriend at the time was with him. She kind of ran support for him. But he had his tent set up to where he could put a folding like a plastic folding table in front yeah, of it and just reach do. it over the ribbon. Something he was literally, he didn't even have to stop. He just grabbed which bag he wanted to go. And she had like little Ziploc baggies full. Like one of them had, I think like cookies in it. The other one had salty snacks in it. So like yeah. it was sugar and salt back to back, whatever you needed. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's what yeah. we're going to do. Um, the last time I did it, we just, we set up a tent right at one of the turns mm -hmm. coming into the start, start, or my guess, start gate, I guess, start yeah. corral. Um, and it was kind of similar, but mm. that's what we're going to do this time. So they'll be limited. I know they're limited on what they can serve and how they serve it with the COVID stuff. So really, yeah, it's terrible. I remember last time, like it was literally 
pizza boxes that were wide open for everybody. Yeah, yeah. A crock pot that sat there unattended. Yeah. You just like dipped your cup in and just went with it. Yeah, so, I mean, I, you know, being a race director, you know, this it, it's going to be tough. Well, we got, I mean, heck, we got the notification for the bear, too. I mean, that's we got to register for it next week. Oh, really? Yeah, they're running it, but it's going to be like COVID restrictions and... Yeah. I don't know how that's going to work for that race, but we'll see. That's pretty close quarters, man. I imagine they'll have to cut the attendance down. Cause they used to 800, do I think, is what they're running. 800? I didn't think it was that yeah. many. Yeah, that's what, that's what we're running this year, is 800. Yeah. And they're going to sell out in two minutes. Yeah, probably. If it makes yeah. it that long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking forward to that one. If I mean, so I guess ironically with all the training we are doing, I feel like maybe this could be my mug year. Yeah. Um, even at my five mile, because we've been hitting, we've actually been hitting the hill work and hitting the, you know, the speed work. Yeah. Religiously, so. I can see it, man. You just got to hammer down, don't let off. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, that's the perfect course to do it. Everything's Of course, that's going to be, like, three weeks after a 100-mile attempt. But nah, you'll be fine. You know. Yeah. I mean, Mark's old. He bounced back after a week. Right. So, you'll yeah. be good. He did another 24-hour race the weekend after he did that one and yeah. increased his mileage, so you'll be fine. Oh, yeah. I mean, I tend to find I tend to find I do better. Like, my, my best runs are after, like, a horrible leg day. It yeah. hurts like hell, but I run a lot faster. Mm-hmm. I mean, your legs feel like garbage, but you're like, oh, I ran a lot faster. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. See? Yeah. Performance anxiety. <laughs> But yeah, so, you know, I mean, obviously you got the technical skill of it and you've got the training that you put into it, but whenever you're in cyclocross, what did you do, you know, stepping up to the starting line? Like before you were on the gate, you're pushing the bike up to get to the starting line. What was going through your head there? Did you just kind of manage the anxiety and so, let it do what it wanted to do? Or did you have like, did you listen to music? Did so you... I always listen to music. Um, okay. And uh, Clutch. There was a couple songs by Clutch that Electric Worry, Electric Worry was probably Electric Worry (laughs) is probably the biggest my was my pre pre race song for so long. Excellent song. Um, So I always got that one in my head, and then when I got up to the line, I was just kind of I would just kind of space out with that, you know, in my head, you know, because there's a lot of talking and crap going on, and Mm. you got different folks filming stuff and you know so yeah i mean i was always nervous though i mean regardless i was still my hand my my hands were still sweating like crazy in my gloves and because i mean it was just you know you slip a pedal i mean if you slip a pedal you know when the whistle goes off you're already off the mark yeah you know you're already behind on trying to catch a wheel um but yeah i mean and that and that's any of my any of my race buddies teammates will tell you that my head was always my biggest problem Hmm. Um, same that's same thing my instructor tells me and the guys that compete you know i mean we got some white belts that'll walk out in a front competition with freaking conor mcgregor type confidence i'm like where does that come from man yeah i never is it a little bit of like the ignorance is bliss type thing or what's going i never understood that whatsoever and i would say and i I race against those folks too and i just was looking like what an arrogant prick like yeah. You know, but it works for him. But it works. Know? Yeah. You know, and I just, I don't know. I never could muster it up. Like, Mm-mm. even if I tried, I felt like 
Yeah. I look like a, I look like a tool right now because I feel like well, a tool. It's not only like, that, just like trying to walk in with confidence. I'm like, man, I'm just not feeling it today. Yeah. Like, today's where, you know, the pedal meets the road, excuse the analogy, but like today's where it's actually going to happen. You know, this is what I've been training for. Yeah. And that's one thing that tore me up was, like I said, man, I turned a molehill into a mountain. You know, nobody cared. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say nobody cares about winning at Naga, but Naga is small beans on the bigger scale of things. You know, yeah. you got fight to win, you got EBI, you got the pro cards to where you win one of those, you know I mean? You get calls for seminars, yeah. stuff like that. Nobody's calling me because I got a Naga belt in yeah. its trophy case downstairs. Well, I know, you know? like so. the, the, the most anxiety I think that I'd ever had like in a race was like in triathlon. When I raced triathlon, that was, I mean, that was, that's pretty crazy because you know you're in your wave starts and just different stuff i mean there's just all kinds of stuff mm-hmm. that can go wrong in triathlon yeah but i think and you know especially if you know when you're in a, a full body wetsuit going into open water you know there's a lot of intangibles that can go wrong out there you Sharks. go into yeah i mean you go into a wave start you get kicked in the face i mean you see people all the time get kicked in the head punched in the face i mean that's just part of it when mm-hmm. you go into the water because it's you know, everybody's aiming to get out on front. Woo! Everybody's aiming to be on that front, even though, you know, you don't really, you don't win a triathlon in the water, but you still want to be out there away from everybody, um, you know, ahead. Yeah. Um, but I think, and so, yeah, a lot of triathlons, man, were nerve-wracking, you know, because then, you, you know, you got to get into transition. You got to, you know, you're trying to, you know do your dismount you're dismounting your bike after your swim and you want to get your you know, dismount right and so you can go right into transition and all you got to do is slip on up you know your running shoes and go right from bike to run and that even that kind of stuff you know like seconds matter you mm-hmm. know and you get stuck or you can't get your shoe on because your foot's still damp you know and you're just like fighting and then the next thing you know where you're trying to fight your, to get your shoe on your calf to size, it wants to cramp because you just like mashed a piss out of the pedal oh, on yeah. a bike. Um, and it, so that got me, I was racing, um, and King, I was racing a Kings mountain race, which it was actually the, it was the, it was a state championship race. And it was also the, uh, Olympic games qual or Olympic, Olympic qualifier. Hmm. So if you could place there, you could qualify for the Olympic trials. Um, so I went to, went into that race with this, just with a, with a pretty good mindset. Um, I got there that morning though. And, and so we were, the temperature was teetering on whether it was going to be wetsuit legal or not wetsuit legal. So what, what's the temperature got to do with wetsuit legal? So it's it depending, I can't remember cause it's been a while, but whatever the, whatever the water temperature is <laughs> makes it wetsuit legal or not. And so if it's so, too warm, you can't wear a wetsuit? Right. If it's too warm, it's no wetsuit. Um, speed suits are the only thing you can wear. And that's just basically a singlet. Um, you know. Yeah, but I mean, what, so what's the benefit to the wetsuit? Is it the compression of it? Or um, is it just I mean, slick? So or? wetsuit, obviously, it makes you more buoyant. Yeah. So you glide through the water faster, but it also keeps you warmer. Um, but for me... So if it's a if it's a wet if it's non wetsuit then you know you're stuck in the singlet but if it's um, op, if it's wetsuit you can choose to wear the wetsuit or not wear the wetsuit it's an option it becomes an option then I'm just saying why would they be against you just wearing a wetsuit anyways 
Um, because it gives you that advantage over the. But I mean, it's not really an advantage because you get the choice whether to wear it or not. Right. Yeah. yeah. Unless you know, and some people wouldn't like. But then for that race, it was like teetering, and so I was like, before it started, they were like, "Okay, it's wetsuit legal." So I chose the wetsuit, which yeah. was a bad choice. Really bad choice because I had a one point something mile swim and I about freaking roasted. So I came out of the water almost dehydrated yeah. because I had, because this wetsuit holds in so much heat. Yeah. Um, and so that like kicked my tail. So I hit the bike and so you're, you're in Kings Mountain. So it's hilly. You got to go through Kings Mountain State Parks. There's a lot of climbing. Yeah. I ended up setting a course record that day on the bike course, which was stupid. So burn yourself out. I came out of the water, slightly dehydrated. Yeah. I get on the bike and totally just mash it. So then I've got a 10k run at the end that's just kind of up and down, up and down, up and down. And my legs, like my calves, I had cramp. My quads were cramping. My calves were cramping. I mean, so I had a horrible run, and I missed qualifying for the trials by one place. Damn, dude. And, you know, it was, and there was just, like I said, there was so much anxiety. That wetsuit, just that stupid wetsuit, legal or not legal thing, created so much anxiety. Because then you're like, do I wear a wetsuit? Do I not wear a wetsuit? Do I wear, do I wear one? Do I, not, do I wear one? Do I? And then you go, okay, I'm wearing it. And then as soon as I got, I'm halfway through this swim, I'm just like, oh my God, I'm so hot right now. I can't. Why don't you just unzip it? Does it create a lot of drag if you unzip it? Oh, yeah. And plus, you're, you're having to grab and. Oh, that's right. Zippers in the back. The cords back yeah, there. Yeah, okay, it's just that. like, yeah, that would plus the wetsuit like would fill up with water, and then you'd probably go sink into the bottom. So, gotcha. So you know, I already came out of the water like, oh my god, get this thing off of me, and I'm, you know, dying. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it's making me anxious just thinking about it. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> but that's how it goes, man. You relive those moments. You know, you relive the victories, but you also relive the anxiety, the yeah. I should have done this, I should have done that, the hindsight 2020 part of, oh, yeah. like, I'm so stupid, I should have got that sweep, or I should yeah. have not chose the wetsuit yeah, over I mean, the speed suit. Yeah. And, and the most, the worst I think I've ever been was when I raced nationals, cyclocross nationals that year when I made it to nationals, and I saw who my competition was, first of all, but then you're going in, you know, it's a complete different thing is a completely different beast than the nc races that you've been racing yeah. i mean you're you're at nationals you're it's uci you know the way you pin your numbers on your you know your sleeves and your back all, all that stuff i mean all that counts points if you do it wrong you get docked Seriously? i mean oh yeah so That's stupid so you know you're walking up and there's literally like these mannequins like be sure to pin your numbers on right put your bib numbers on correctly you know you'll be You'll, you know, basically what they do is they just add time to your, your finishing time if you miss all the stuff. Yeah. Because they got to be able to see you when you come through different corners and turns and oh, all that yeah, stuff. I can see that, I guess. So all that stuff matters, but you get there and you're like, you're used to doing this for these NC or these North Carolina coast races. Then you show up here and all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, now you got to do this, 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 and this just to get to the start of the race, you know, and so I go out and I, when I get there, it's like eight degrees, courses completely froze solid, ice everywhere, and it is a 
technical as hell course like with just these just straight up run rides but then straight down into holes and off banks and down through these crazy twisty turny like i mean i saw so many I mean, there were so many people just eating crap you know so you're just i'm just running i'm just riding you know practicing on this course and you're like oh my god i'm gonna die before i even get to my race like Jeez. you're trying to figure out where the best place like i don't want to ride this i probably should get off and run this because if i one wrong you know mistake plus you're thinking well by the time my race starts this course is going to be completely different because the temperature is going to go up hmm. there's going to be there's going to be people riding the course so what's frozen is probably going to be just slick sloppy mud you know so the whole time you're thinking that and you get up to the line and you're going oh my god oh my god oh my god you know and the gun goes off and here you go and you just start seeing bodies in front of you just (laughs) bikes going here and there and you get into this this turn and you know off into the woods it goes and just goes straight down into a hairpin right into a hairpin left and over rocks and boulders and you just see bikes flopping all over the place people (laughs) going down and you're like screw this so you're dismounting and like i'm running it and then you got all the people screaming at you and heckling you and you're like bikes are made for riding you know and you're like shut up (laughs) and you know you're expected to like deal with that and just and just go with it because it is what it is and you're and not me i'm just like shut up you know and i'm wanting to like throw my bike down and just go over the road and over the tape and just beat the piss out of this guy (laughs) that's heckling me you know and so all that anxiety you know and and I, you know, I finished like, I don't remember, I was whatever, 70th or something out of the race or yeah. whatever. And, you know, it is what it is, but. Dude, that's so crazy. Yeah, I mean, like, if you've never been to a cross race, man, it's it's like, I mean, you know, you can go to some of them and the course is just kind of lame. It's it's yeah, a, a real fast track. It's a straightaway power course and you're really yeah. just NASCAR in it for 45 minutes to an hour. Mm. and those are good like I, I do really well at those just because i can power through it no, i want to see the technical stuff it's the, i want to see it get tricky it's the really people. crazy technical stuff and it's those ones where you're like you're just hauling ass through this just dirt rocky gravel <laughs> area and all of a sudden it just disappears and next thing you know it's just <laughs> a drop i mean there's a picture on my facebook that you can i mean it's you literally are hair, going through these crazy hairpin turns and it's just this off camber left and then everything disappears all you see is like the skyline and then you go and it's like 60 feet straight i mean straight down so if you're not positioned right the you're going going over the handlebars butts coming over and and it's gonna hurt like hell um so you hit those and you're like oh god here we go here we go you know (laughs) plus you know if you're not up front you don't know what kind of ruts have been dug in by the people who did eat it or who's laying at the bottom hit it perfect and then those ruts throw your front wheel off balance you know absolutely it's so there was a lot of anxiety when i race cross i gotcha especially when you especially when you came through lap one or two and you're you know top three Mm. and now your your whole focus is holding the spot and moving up yeah but don't mess up at the same time yeah so you're thinking you're over <laughs> redlining it but don't redline yeah, it too like, hard i remember that route said oh god there's that route and you're sliding all over the place mm. thing you know yeah i got you man so yeah i don't know that i ever really learned how to deal with it i think i just dealt with it yeah and that's a huge part of it too man just 
anytime you're in competition, only way to desensitize yourself to it is to keep competing. Yeah. I mean, it really is. You know, for me, like I said, I never planned to be a regular competitor in jiu-jitsu. I'm not saying that I won't be, or, but, you know, at the same time, it's just not a goal right now. Yeah. I see no benefit to becoming a regular competitor. You know, yeah. I mean, if it's different, if I'd be, if I was looking for sponsors or, you know, like in Beber's case, he competes because he wants to kind of market the yeah. gym. You know, it's pretty easy to look up, be like, oh, he's won all kinds of stuff. I oh, definitely yeah. want to learn from him, you know? So it does help out in that aspect. But at the same time, man, unless the whole team's going, I don't see myself going to yeah. another one. I'll probably never do like the super fights like he does or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, you know, our team kind of, I mean, people moved and, you know, we haven't raced in a couple of years now. So, and I don't know that that's any, I may do some cross races maybe next year yeah. just for fun. Um, but I don't know that I'll ever be that serious about it again. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, like, you know, when I, when I was, I was like most people, um, I did a lot of stuff on my own and I trained on my own. I was just, I've always been that kind of person or at least I yeah. was, um, and then, you know, people were like, hey, man, if you want to get better, you need to come ride with us. You need to come ride with us, come do group rides, come do our training rides. So, you know, and there was a lot of anxiety about doing that because, A, you know, you show up. I'm like, well, I don't have the fastest, nicest, coolest, most expensive bike. I don't have all the cool gear. Yeah. I'm not really going to fit in. Um, but then I started forcing myself to get out of my comfort zone, and then I would show up, and I'd get my butt handed to me. And I'd go back and I'd get my butt handed to me. Then I would consider not going back because I'm tired of going to get my butt handed to me. But then I found out that after getting my butt handed to me so many times that I was getting faster, that I was getting better. Mm-hmm. And then then, I, then it turned out everybody was talking about, where's Hogan at? Where's the where's the speed train at? Where's the, yeah. where, you know, where's the gear masher? Because that's who people depended on to help get them around the course. Yeah. You know, but, but that's only because I stepped out of that comfort zone. And we're like, okay, if I really want to get better, here's what I have to do. I've got to show up, listen, first of all, because there was a lot of wisdom in those teammates of mine that yeah. that were that had been racing all these years. Um, and they really helped make me better. Um, but, like, I mean, it was totally like, okay, yes. Is it going to be embarrassing? Yes. Is it going to be uncomfortable? Absolutely. But the question is, do you want to be better? And I did. So I showed mm-hmm. up. I dealt with the anxiety issues. You know, I got ticked off of myself for, you know, my mistakes. And But then in the end, I ended up getting better. And, you know, I became one of those cyclists that was pretty well known in the, in, in the industry, in the community, yeah. um, which was cool. Like, I didn't really care about that, but it just yeah. it kind of happened on its own, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, now everybody's, like, constantly... Hey man, when are you gonna ride your bike? Hey man, when are you gonna ride your bike? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. Every time I get an itching to do it, I decide real quick that I'd rather just lay on the couch. So I got you there, man. All right. Anything else? I think it's a good way to wrap it up. I mean, I got another hour if you want to get another hour. <laughs> next time. We'll pick that up next week. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. Later. <laughs>